You are listening to the Back Pain and Injury Podcast, episode 120. We are delighted to introduce to the podcast Angela Jackson, a physiotherapist and educator with a specialist interest in the management of youth athletes. And today we are discussing common injuries that are highly prevalent in youth athletes, particularly severs and schlatters. <laughs> now, both of these conditions you may have heard of before, even if you can't say them properly like me, and you may have even had them yourself as a child. Now, children aren't mini adults, which is something we discuss in the early part of this episode. So the conditions that we may get as a child are different to the ones that we may suffer from as an adult. So awareness of this and how to manage them in your child is vital. In this episode, expect to learn why adolescent bones and tendons can be likened to a climbing rope. If these injuries can predispose a child to any conditions later in life, why September is the most common time for these injuries to happen, and why pre-season training often isn't actually the best idea. All of this and more on this latest episode of the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. Angela's website has some brilliant information and you can find all of the links to everything we discussed today within the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science and give you all the top tips for living pain free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. So, welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. So, today, we are talking all about paediatric or kids' injuries with Angela Jackson. So, Angela, thank you for joining us, and we're going to dive straight in today. Why don't children get the same injuries as adults? You know, aren't we, aren't we built the same? Um in the end, we're built the same, but um, when kids um, are going through their growth spurts, they have uh, growth tissue, which enables the bones to get longer. Um, and those growth tissues need to have the ability to um, be very active, and they're going through lots of transitions. So what happens is that those growth tissues have their own set of unique uh, injuries and conditions. Um, and so... Uh, we can't just treat kids as adults. Um, not only are the conditions different, but kids don't have that same vocabulary. They don't have the same emotions. So in loads of different ways, um, really kids don't stop being kids until they're into their early 20s. So until that happens and until their bodies have completely grown and their brains have completely matured, if they ever do, um, then in essence, what we're looking at is a whole different spectrum of different uh, conditions and injuries. So are these conditions which the adults would never get or is just more common in children and less common in adults on the whole? Yeah, uh, good question is that there are certain conditions that if they if the injury occurs to the growth tissue, um, then in essence, uh, an adult couldn't get that because once the growth tissue has closed and the growth has stopped, then um, you'll stop. Uh, seeing all of those different conditions. So there's a couple of things that happen is that when children are growing, if you imagine that the bone elongates, then during the time that it's it's getting longer, there's a temporary period where it's also in essence getting a bit thinner. And so 
what happens at that point is that the child becomes much more likely to break a bone or get a stress fracture. Uh, and a stress fracture is more where the capacity of that bone's been exceeded. So we've done too much too soon. Now, in uh, the points where the muscles attach to um, the uh, bones is via a tendon. And in the adult, that bony area is already fully fused and it's already really, really strong. So the injury occurs more likely to the tendon and we start to see things like tendinopathies. Whereas in the child, the child is born with bones that are really made of cartilage. And it's only over a period of those sort of uh, up until they're 15, 16, 17, and even a bit more in certain bones, that those bones begin to get more solid and they ossify and become like the bones we know as adults. But during that period of time, both the actual growth tissue and those cartilage um, bones are really susceptible to different injuries. So they're more likely to get a bony injury, whereas adults get more tendon injuries. So is it fair to say that effectively the, the tendons are, are strong, but it's the bones that aren't quite as strong, whereas in the adults that obviously, you know, we the bones are fully fused, so we don't see that. Is that fair to say that it's not quite as strong? Yeah, no, that's exactly how I describe it, really, is that um, what you're talking about is if you imagine, um, uh, I have a, a sort of analogy whereby I look at um, a climber being attached to um, a rock face, and the point at which the rope is attached to the rock face um, is very similar to how the tendon attaches to the bone. And so in a child, what will happen is you'll actually pull out that anchor attachment because the bone is more, to say it's a bit more sort of, um, it's softer. And therefore, you're much more likely to damage where that anchor occurs into the bone. Um, whereas that's fully ossified, it's tough as old boots in, a, in an adult but the tendon starts to put have a lot more strain on it. So in the adult, you're basically going to see where the uh, bone is strong, the tendon isn't, and it's the exact opposite in a child. Oh, I love that analogy. That really kind of paints a really interesting picture for really... I'll send you the little picture. It's a climber and how many ways can he fall off the wall? Which Ooh, one happens so, in the adult? Which one happens in so, the child? Sounds painful, actually. <laughs> Not going as, as, as a climber. Um, so, those, so those injuries then to that, you know, anchor, um, you know, that bit on the wall. Are those what we call the kind of the apophysitis injuries? Is that the right term that we use as a as a general term for those? Yes, there's there's two types. Exactly right. So, an apophysis is the actual uh, place where growth takes place. Um, and in most bones, you've got an area where the bone gets longer, and that's got a different name. And then you've got the area where the bone gets its shape. So the sticky out bits we can feel on our um, heel bones and our knees and our um, uh, hip bones. Basically, the sticky out bits are called the apophysis. And those are designed to create an attachment for a muscle, a tendon, a ligament. And so everywhere in the human body that you've got a sticky out bit and a muscle or ligament attaching to it creates the potential for an injury site. And we call those apophysitis. And what happens is if over a period of time you start to do too much too soon, and there's certain times of year that we can talk about that that happens more and why, but if you happen to get something that's just gradually hugging and annoying and it's irritating, and that's going to create more inflammation. And so we call it an apophysitis. The itis being just means inflammation. 
But we can also get a much more sudden injury, particularly up around the hips and the pelvis, where you get an apophyseal avulsion. And all that means is that you actually pull the anchor away a little bit. They don't fully come off, but you can create either a, you know, a very acute sudden onset of pain or one that's just been niggling for weeks and is gradually getting worse. So there's two things that can happen um, at the apophysis. That makes total sense. And there's two of those injuries that I'd kind of love to dive into today. Obviously, these can happen all over the body, but two quite really common ones are at the the heel and the knee. Um, and those are two I'd love to kind of go into a little bit more detail about today. Um, so you, you can take your pick. Would you like to start heel or knee? I don't know about if you have a preference. Start at the bottom. <laughs> start at the bottom. Sounds good. Okay. So the first thing to understand is that kids grow from the foot upwards. So one of the ways in which we can see that a child's beginning to go through their sort of big growth spurt, and we call that the peak growth spurt. And in girls, it happens at about 10, 11 years of age, um, depending on the child, and then in boys, probably nearer 12 to 13. And we all can see those kids look as though they've got massive feet and not very long legs. And then suddenly (laughs) they've got all legs and no trunk. (laughs) And so what we're seeing is that the foot has started to grow. And so the muscles underneath the foot and the muscles in the calf have suddenly um, got almost too tight. So the bones have grown first and then the muscles that attach to all of those bony sites start to traction. So we sometimes call them traction apophysitis. And that's because what happens is that the, the bone exceeds the growth of the tissue. The tissue, the bone is where you get growth. And then the poor little muscles are going, hang on, wait for me. And so they are desperately playing that catch up game. And during that time, there's lots and lots of traction on the point where they attach to the bone. So if we think about the heel bone, then the big calf muscle creates an Achilles tendon. And that Achilles tendon is going to attach right on the back of the heel, just almost where the back of the shoe is. And so what tends to happen is as that calf muscle gets really, really tight, it starts to pull like crazy on its attachment at the heel. And sometimes that can cause inflammation. It can cause swelling in some of the soft tissues and really irritate the bone. So this poor child has got this massive sort of almost bruised type feeling on their heel. Now, a lot of kids and a lot of adults, when they're running, land on the heel when and it's not a good thing a bad thing it's just how we run sometimes lots of kids do land on the heel and so consequently you imagine that you've got a real bony bruise and you're smacking it into the ground these kids are going to complain of pain so that's one that we call severs um and um in essence it's where the the achilles attaches to the bone and for Mm. a temporary period during growth we're seeing this traction effect coupled with the muscles on the underside of the foot, um, creates almost like a tension point where it's all just too tight until the bones yeah. and the muscles all find a way of, of catching each other up. Good. And so is this then caused by anything else? So obviously, you know, it's, it's going to be there in some people. A lot of people have the traction on that heel bone. But if then we're running more or we're playing more sports or we're jumping around, are some people more predisposed to getting it, either male or female or anything like that? Or is it sports or is it just luck of the draw? There is some idea as to whether there's any genetics involved, but I don't think that's the case. For me, it's about um, doing too much too soon. And you're going to hear me say that an awful lot um, because for the majority of children's injuries, it's just that 
are doing too much too soon. So let's think about the timings of when we get severs, because that makes the most sense then with understanding how these injuries occur. So one of the peaks is the third week of September in the UK calendar. Um, if your school year starts in January, it would be three weeks into the January term. And so what happens is that children um, over their summer holiday, wherever, whenever that occurs, um, will uh, probably have a lovely time. They're running around in different shoes, maybe flip-flops. They're, they're doing very different things. And then they go back to school, probably not having been in a football boot or a um, different trainer. And so that in itself creates a change. But they go back and suddenly in the UK in September, we go back to pre-season training for all the winter sports. We go back to school sports. And then every trial known to man for county sports and district level teams occurs in those first three weeks. Yeah. So the poor bodies going from having a lovely little time just playing at low intensity to going at life at 100 miles an hour, possibly going even at straight up to 15, 16, 20 hours of sport a week. Yeah. And so the body sort of, it will adapt over time, but just much in the same way as if an adult goes to the gym seven days a week in January to, to burn off the uh, new year, new you, then they're going to get an injury. And kids are no different, but we forget that. And so whereas if we were building up for a marathon or we we're building up for a gym program, as an adult, we'd be completely sensible, mostly. And we'd take our time and we'd let the body have chance to adapt. And every third week, we might have a lower week just to let the body catch up again. Nobody plans like that for children. They just assume that kids are kids and they'll be able to do anything. They bounce. <laughs> they bounce. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. for most of us, they do. Um, <laughs> but the the problem is that those poor bones and tendons are all going, what on earth just happened? Mm. And so for a period of time, the capacity of that bone is just exceeded. And so we then get our severs at the heel. We have another very similar condition we'll touch on in a minute called Osgood Schlatter's at the knee. And we have these avulsion injuries that occur around the hip. But the important part is that if we were able to help parents and educate them to the idea that if they gave their child week one, maybe they only do school PE. And week two, they then add in their clubs. And week three, they then add in all the other things that go with it. And we wouldn't see conditions like Sebers. We wouldn't see conditions like Osgoods because the bodies had time to adjust. So pre-season training is about the worst thing that can ever happen to a, a young child because invariably it's like four or five times a week out of nowhere. And we see two weeks later, there's usually a bit of a delay, two weeks later, three weeks later, the child's broken, hurting. And what happens with severs is they get very sore heels. They get pain on running. Um, sometimes there's some swelling, but not always. But these are pains that occur during sport and immediately after, but they won't have pain at night. So very, very rare. Should If they had pain at night, then I'd want them investigating. So they're quite easy to recognize in terms of sore on activity, sore usually for a couple of hours afterwards, and then they forget about it until they go and do it again, and it all hurts again. Yeah. So they're quite easy to, to um, diagnose in clinic if they've got that very localized um, tenderness, and they've got those symptoms that worse with activity settle with rest yeah do, do they get a, a pattern of, of stiffness in the morning you know in similar way to like an adult with an achilles wood or is that uh, not a common presentation 
Um, in, they can do, but I think that's more rare in that um, technically this isn't so much of a problem with the tendon as it is with this is more of a problem with yeah. its attachment to the bone. So we slightly see a different presentation than we would in the adult there. Yeah. Um, I think the thing to maybe bring into the conversation is what is a growing pain because um, growing pains are different. So younger children under the age of 11, 12, where we're talking about these severs kick in, the younger children will get pains um, and those will be often at night and often in both legs. So we often get parents presenting with their kid and says, oh, my child's got growing pains. And I'm always keen to understand what the symptoms are because technically there is something called growing pains. We don't know why. We maybe think that is genetic, but um, kids get random pains much more, mm. often in both legs, often at night. And it can be maybe to do with some of the nerves being stretched. It can be sometimes in kids who are more anxious. And there's lots of different reasons as to why they occur. But growing pains occur in what we'd call the middle of a bone, the muscles per se, as opposed to these types of injuries like severs will be actually exactly where the muscle attaches to the bone and is very distinct then. It can't move. It can't transfer leg to leg yeah. or area to area because it's an injury where the muscle attaches. Right, right at that specific point. So that exactly. kind of, you know, one finger, this is where it hurts right exactly. on my heel bone is classically how that, that child will, 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 will present. Will, will they limp? You know, is limping quite a common thing, you know, after doing a cross-country race or football training or whatever they've done that kind of September? Yes, very definitely. Uh, you imagine, as I say, this lovely big sort of bruise-like feeling. I'm not saying it's exactly what is going on in terms of the pathology of the condition, but that's mm. how it feels to the child, yeah. is that they are really not going to want to put that that hard um, uh, their heel down onto hard ground. Yeah. So, in fact, one of the treatments becomes try and teach them to run in a slightly different way so that they're not smacking the heel into the ground and using lots of things like sorbethane uh, cushioning insoles to try and give them a little bit more protection for a temporary period of time. A little bit of a cushion, so it's, it's comfortable yeah. to uh, comfortable to, yeah. to put in your, especially school shoes as well. You know, they, they're quite hard. You know, a comfortable trainer is quite different from a, you know, leather school shoe at the end of the day as well. So I imagine that's also a big September change as well. I'm not sure if that's got any uh, anything to do with it or not. I think it does because the, the school shoe is generally much stiffer. But if you think in terms of if the big holiday is over the summer period and it's warm, they'll have been barefoot, they'll have been in... in yeah maybe little soft canvas pumps that are very flat. And for some kids, that can cause problems. Other kids, it doesn't. Um, but it's that transition. My first question when I'm always looking at uh, treating young children is, tell me what's changed. Because yeah. it's almost impossible to get a uh, apophysitis-type condition without something having changed. Because what yeah. we're saying is the tissues have, have exceeded their capacity. Yeah. So you've, too much you know, too soon, yeah. <laughs> we've got to look back and go, was it a change in sport? Was it a season's overlap? Did they suddenly go for a trial and they were trying much harder? Did they change shoe? Did they grow? Lots of different things mm. that are going to contribute to it. So, you know, the more that the, the parents can think about what has changed, the more they feel empowered 
to then be able to plan for those things because yeah. you can't stop kids growing. We've tried, but you can't. And you, so, you can really try. <laughs> um, if you stop feeding them, maybe, but that's probably not <laughs> yeah. ethical. But no, you might get social services uh, to, to cover up fairly soon. <laughs> <laughs> what parents then uh, often find is after we've chatted to them is they feel a lot more in control of helping their child not to then carry on getting these symptoms. And I think that's a massive part of the therapy role is to really educate the child about why it happened. So next term, they don't make all the same mistakes again. And what other things can be contributing like nutrition and sleep and stress that yeah. will perhaps potentially make them feel pain more. Yeah, I love that. That's re really interesting, actually. It's something, you know, a large, a, sh a massive you know, problem in in the teen in the you know, those children that we see. It's the most common thing that I would see with pediatrics in 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 the foot. You know, knee coming up next, which we're going to going to talk about. So having that overview is so so important, and this is why we do these podcasts because I can share this now with you know parents that I see, other patients that I see, and it's something that's a uh, really beneficial. Well, now what I'd like to do is before we come on to kind of management of it, I'd like to talk a little bit about the knee because I think the overarching managements are going to be fairly similar um, in terms of how we can manage them rather than getting, you know, kind of down into the specifics of this exercise and that exercise, because obviously that's going to be very different largely on the, depending on the presentation. So if we can talk about the knee then, so we mentioned there's that similar, that traction apophysitis kind of around the knee, you know, Osgood slatters. Can we talk a little bit about that and how, you know, how that would present and, and what actually happens to the knee there? Of course. So in much the same way as we thought about the calf complex attaching at the Achilles tendon in the heel, we need to think about the big quads muscle at the front of the thigh, which comes down and it um, sort of encapsulates the kneecap and then creates a tendon just underneath the kneecap, which attaches to the shin bones. It's a huge muscle. It goes all the way from the hip and doesn't land on the thigh bone, it lands on the shin bone. So it's covering two big joints. And so it's got massively long levers. And so what tends to happen is as that big thigh bone starts to grow, invariably two years after they may have had the, the window where they might get severs, now we've seen the growth in the foot then becomes growth in the shin. And now suddenly we've got growth in the thigh as they're getting a little bit older. And so what tends to happen is that that thigh bone grows and the tension in the quads muscle increases and increases and increases. Now, two things then happen is you're going to get that same traction effect that we got at the heel where it's tugging away at the attachment on the shin bone. And sometimes that can even cause like a little egg to develop. So because if you imagine just tugging and tugging and tugging and tugging, then the bone goes, well, hang on a minute. Do you need toughening up? So it tries to lay down some extra protection in creating more bone. And what we see sometimes is a really quite hard lump appears on the front of the shin bone at the top. And those can be hideously tender if you want to kneel on them and your sport involves landing on the, the ground on that, that area. And so kids with this Osgood Schlatters is like, again, it's a traction apophysitis at the point where the quads muscle attaches to the shin. Now, the other thing that happens is if you imagine bending the knee when we're sprinting um, or if we're doing a big kick or other sports that require you to almost bring your heel toward your bottom where the knee's in a fully bent position, that's also going to increase the tension on all the little soft tissues underneath. So what happens is some of the little soft tissues, we've got things called bursas, which are like fluid sacs, 
and they actually get squashed. And those can be exquisitely tender as well. So the more recent research is that certainly at this knee attachment is that it's not just about the pulling and the tugging and the traction, it's also about the squashing. So we get these compression areas of all those lovely little soft tissues that are there that can often be very, very sensitive. So twofold effect, really. So that, and then will that be a very similar method to that severs in terms of that kind of too much too soon, effectively? They've gone back to sport, they've gone back to trampolining, whatever it might be. And then they've suddenly got this, oh, that kind of knee pain, sore when they're doing it, sore for a few hours afterwards, but no night pain. Is that a, Correct. a common presentation? Yeah. So um, absolutely the same symptoms. So what we're seeing there is um, intermittent pain, worse on activity, invariably sore for a couple of hours later. And they're going to have pain on jumping. They're going to have pain on kicking. Um, they're going to have pain on sprinting, squatting, because of those compressive forces as yeah. well as the stretch. So um, I think it's really important because children may get told to stretch their muscles, and mm. that may actually, in some children, actually cause more pain. So we tend to, t um, to then need to give them that little bit of time just to catch up and we can give them different treatments that we can talk about in a second. Mm. So very similar, you're not gonna be expecting night pain. Um, you will get a little bit of swelling quite often in these kids. They, they've often got, as I say, this quite obvious little bony outcrop that feels really exquisitely tender. And if you tap it, the kid's likely to try and tap you in return. They're not happy about <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess the, the, the question then that, you know, parents might be, you know, shouting, thinking, well, what happens now is, if these growth plates don't, you know, fuse, fuse or, you know, people aren't skeletally, fully skeletally mature until we're kind of late teens, early 20s, are these problems always going to be there then until we're fully skeletally mature or until, you know, that, you know, especially around the heel or the knee? Okay, so um, great question is that if we think about the um, severs, we're saying that in girls probably may occur around the age of 10, 11 and in boys just a little bit later. So girls skeletally mature um, on average two years earlier than boys. So what happens is that there's a little window during which growth can occur in that part of the body. And before we said that it starts at the foot, it moves up the shin, the thigh and onwards and upwards. So when you've got this period of growth going on at the heel, severs can only occur until the bone actually fuses. And that occurs invariably about 14 in a boy. So severs can only really occur uh, on average between the ages of, of 10 and 14. Now we have to be careful when we use ages in children because um, the work that uh, Mandy Johnson did at Manchester United showed us that if you took an 11 year old, some of them will still have the, the bodies and the bones of an eight year old and yet others of 11 years of age will yeah. have the bodies and bones of a 14 year old. So yeah. it's always hard to quantify exactly which ages we see severs in but if we took the average kid then we're really talking about little girls probably 10 to 12 and then they can't get it anymore because their bones are fused and then boys a little bit older yeah. when we move up to the knee again we've got this window where now we've got this active growth tissue going on around the knee and they may occur from about the ages of 12 and then once that bone's gone through its big growth spurt around the ages of 15, 16, we're done with Osgood Schlatter's. Yeah, and then we go up to the hip and we get the conditions there. So it, the good news is that 
um, there is a finite window during which these symptoms can occur. Now, the worrying part is that the work coming out of Denmark at the moment is saying that things like Osgood Schlatter's can have symptoms that last for many years. But my belief is that if we got the the right information and the right education, and it's my big driving force to help parents make the right decisions and understand what caused it in the first place. So if every child that got severs got the right management treatment and Mm. education, they'd never get Osgoods. Because at the beginning of each term and at the beginning of each uh, season, they would do this graduated return to play again. And so the the chances are of you getting Osgoods if you had severs currently is really high. But if we gave them the right management in the first place, and even better, we got the right you know information to parents before they even get severs, we'd be on to a winner. So it's just that understanding that too much too soon, that going back in September, all of those issues, because you know people haven't managed it properly the first time. And then they do exactly the same thing the second time and end up with exactly the same problem. So difficult, difficult that one. Then if they uh, come back to see you three years later with the same problem in the knee, then I guess it's a, a hard conversation to have sometimes. It is. But I think if if that's probably me not done my job well enough, if I haven't educated them. Maybe well you were enough. a bad example, you know, because obviously you're not going to make this mistake, but <laughs> other people. <laughs> I think so. But, you know, I think hopefully by doing things like this, helping pa- parents with the right information, um, certainly uh, happy to make available to your audience the little handbook I have for Severs and Osgood Schlatters for parents Brilliant. so that Thank they you. have the right information to read and digest. Yeah. Um, then we can do that with the links and things. But okay. importantly, with, with these Osgood Schlatters, if we can give them the right information, start to build them back up again, get them nice and strong, then I believe we can cut those numbers right, right down and keep kids doing Brilliant. what they love. Good. So then talking about management of these um, of, of these apophysitis traction injuries, do they have to be cut out all sport and stop everything immediately? Is this, you know, something which, you know, if we carry on playing sport, this is always going to be there? Or is it just kind of, you know, tweaking, you know, tweaking the loads and tweaking the balances to make sure they're, you know, not flaring it up? How does it work? I like that word, tweaking. Lots of tweaking <laughs> needs to go on. Lots of tweaking. <laughs> Turning the volume down. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of describing I use that one it. A lot. So um the the general idea would be that um if we just stick to the apophysitis the severs and the osgood schlatters and the the similar conditions that occur below the hip and the rules stay the same so you need to get your um symptoms down to a level that is no more than a 2 out of 10 pain and settles within an hour after and isn't worse the next day so those are the Good. three rules. So no more than a two out of 10, no more than an hour after and no worse the next day. And once a kid can get their symptoms down to that kind of level, they can usually continue to play. And the irony is that if we want the tissue to become more used to what we're doing to it, we've got to keep doing activity. So if we want to make them more uh, robust and more tolerant of the amount of sport we want to do, We can't stop them doing everything for very long because otherwise the climb back up to their normal load is even higher. So what it is, is about trying to take them back down. I I liken it to a ladder or a set of steps. And we maybe take out some of the very uh, high intensity stuff, the uh, very bouncy stuff. So lots of the hopping and the jumping, but we keep them doing as much as we can to keep them fit 
and to keep the muscles nice and strong. And find a level that brings them back down to around that two out of 10 pain. Mm. Now, the big problem is, how does a child know what two means? If you often speak to a child who's never been injured, they've never had pain, and you say to them, well, what kind of pain is it? And the, kind, the child's more likely to go annoying. They won't yeah. have vocabulary like it's a nerve pain, it's a muscle pain, yeah. it's a deep pain. They don't have that because they've never experienced it. And if you then say to them, out of 10, tell me how much this it is. And the kid will go, ah, it's an eight or a nine. And you just watch them jump off the bed. And so at this point, you kind of look and go, well, that doesn't quite seem to fit. If I had yeah. an eight or nine out of 10 pain, I wouldn't be jumping off any bed onto my sore heel or knee. And it, what they're really saying is in children is, this is having a massive impact on my life. So we often use smiley faces. We use all sorts of different ways with kids to help them understand that a two is just a really little bit of pain. Yeah. And a 10 is a massive amount of pain that's actually making yeah. them cry. It's it's making them want to take medicine and then help them learn what a two out of 10 uh, pain yeah. is. Because what's a two out of 10 pain for their mummies um, and to another child is very, very different. So it's about that impact on their life. I love that, that kind of relation to, you know, nine, 10 out of 10 means actually this is really, really getting me down. And I guess that's got some correlation with adults as well, because, you know, we see all see patients who say, oh, this is a 10 out of 10. And we think it doesn't look like a 10 out of 10. But obviously what they're trying to tell us is it's this is having a significant impact on what I want to do with my life right now. So I like that. That's a really good way of thinking about it. So then we come back to just kind of toning it down, you know, Am I am I right in thinking we can say kind of pick your favourite sport, you know, and and stick with that one rather than trying to, you know, jump back into doing everything at once like we do in September. That's sometimes quite a you know go straight back into hockey, rugby, football, and cross country all on day one. Where actually, if you really love playing rugby, let's keep it keep it at that and keep with the rugby because that's what you know what you love and that's going to give you them feedback of getting involved in activity, getting involved in in exercises, but not be too down that well, I can't do the sport I love because that's the difficulty with kids. They don't really understand that they can't do something. That's a, a difficult conversation to have. I think you're absolutely right. And you've hit on some really key points there. I think um, your first conversation's got to be about, tell me a little bit about your sport and what it means to you. So um, it may well be that the child can't play out in the playground. So they're being isolated mm. and they've lost their friendship group and they've perhaps lost some of the kudos they have. And suddenly all of this has become a bit of a psychosocial issue as well mm. as a, um, uh, a muscular injury that they're having to deal with. So I think we need to understand that impact on the child. So the way in which you described it, what's important to you? What are you missing most at the moment? And then you've got two things as a therapist. You know and really understand the impact it's having on their life, but you also know how to bribe them to do their exercises and to adhere to the information because suddenly you can say, well, look, I can get you back. Let's imagine it was that they wanted to play soccer again. Um, so what's really important is to say, well, what is it that you'd love to be better at? So we find that what's important and what is it that's going to absolutely motivate them to want to listen to you. So if you want to get back and you want to be faster or you want to curl the ball or you want to mm. kick the ball, who's your favorite player? Tell me. And you send them off going doing some research on that player and how they do that skill. Yeah. And then we can break those exercises down absolutely into channeling it into that skill. And it's the art of the therapist then saying, okay, I get what makes you tick. 
And I'm going to use that information to help you adhere to this program. And once you explain to the kid that all professional sportsmen get injured, but what defines the really great ones is how they behave during an injury and how if we want to get this better and get them better than they've ever been at sport, these are the things that a professional soccer player would do and their hero would do. And that helps the child to understand that when they watch the footy, they see you know, grown-ups, professionals getting injured. So they get that concept, but they also get that they come back from that injury because they're their favourite players back in the team two, yeah. six weeks later. So lots of analogies to situations that they can really understand and appreciate. Yeah. And when you see a photo of Ronaldo in the gym, you know, with his Theraband and with his Swiss ball and whatever he's doing, that gets that buy-in, which, you know, is so beneficial to, you know, doing the exercises. And also for the parents as well, because it's important for them to see that, you know, this isn't just you, the, the, the athletes do this as well. Okay, so then where do we come in? As um, healthcare professionals, you know, what is our role? And obviously, just in diagnosing it, you know, we kind of touched on that bit. So where do we come in terms of management? Um, you know, is there things that we can do with our hands? Is it something that we do kind of in the treatment room? Is it the rehab plan that we do? How important is that role as, you know, primary healthcare professionals to, to manage these, these conditions? I think it's really important. I'm quite an old fashioned therapist. I grew up um, using my hands and I'm very proud of what I can do with them, as well as my ability to Uh, recognize where strength and conditioning comes in. And it has to be all of the above. And the way I liken soft tissue element of it as a therapist is if I was working with some Play-Doh or a piece of plasticine and I rolled it in my hands first and I got it all nice and warm, it's going to be more pliable. And we're talking about bones that have grown too, well, not too quickly, but bones that have grown quickly and the poor old soft tissues trying to play catch up. So if we can get um, the... Uh, the parents involved, show them how to do it and say, look, give them a nice bath and then plonk them on their tummies on the sofa and literally massage their calf muscles, massage their thigh muscles, try and keep them as pliable as we can. So I see my role both as loosening those muscles off to to make them feel easier and give them a little bit more uh, relaxation because they often get very taut. Yeah. Um, it's only going to be temporary, but if we ask the parents to get involved then as well, then that can be a good thing. So I think there's a role for soft tissue therapy. Um, I think there's a huge role for understanding some of the, um, how we assess the patient. Have they got any differences in strength, maybe from the left to the right side? So have they got all those muscles firing as hard as they and strongly as they can? in order to to act like springs and take some of the pressure off the body. So we look at the calf muscle, we look at the thigh muscles, and then we look at sort of strong buttocks, strong tummies, and try and build all of those muscles up so that there's a bit more robustness. And what we're looking for is the child to develop a little bit more of an endurance capacity so that if they are going to be running for two and three hours, their muscles aren't getting tired mm. during that time. And then the bones are hitting the ground harder than they would have done. So the more that we can build that strength up, the better. Brilliant. I love that making robust, you know, that type of, or, you know, anti-fragile is the other term that I've kind of yeah. uh, used a lot. And it's so important because that's what, you know, we have to have the ability to absorb force and absorb load and, and then continue it, whether it's absorbing a rugby tackle or landing on the floor when we're running. So, you know, and that is what, you know, whether we're in the gym doing squats, doing lunges, that is what that's doing. So making people robust, I think, is is a really good uh, phrase is the right word I'm looking yeah, for. I that you it know, is. It can really, really help it. 
I think one of the key things is that when we're working with children, that's perhaps a little bit different to adults, is that some of them haven't developed what I call movement or physical literacy. Um, so if you imagine that we've got numeracy and we've got literacy in children at school, mm. you also need to have that competence to move. And sometimes it's just that they haven't learned how to maybe yeah. lunge or squat or do certain things uh, within you know, their physical development. And actually sometimes just helping them to maybe squat in a different way, lunge in a different way, can take a lot of pressure off those knees. Yeah. So there's no um, one way to squat or one way to lunge, but sometimes the way they squat and lunge can be provoking more pain. Yeah. So quite often I'll really spend time developing movements that are going to help them when they want to start lifting weights as they get older, but really developing that movement competency in young yeah. children is going to really help them during their development of not just their sporting technique, but also movements in the in the future. And the focus there being on it's just a different way to do it, that we can kind of calm things down in the moment, yeah. which we know is going to help, but it's not going to keep annoying it and keep aggravating the symptoms right. when you're doing it. Because I guess a lot of these things, as you say, if you look up Severs or you look up Osgood Slatters, a lot of the kind of the you know three top exercises for Osgood might be you know stretching the quads and and you know doing some squats or doing some wall sits and things and often those can be quite aggravational in the early stages when it's really really irritated and really sore so that you know our role being it's working out what's going to be best for you at this moment yes those exercises might be perfect for you know Jimmy but they might be awful for Julie on the other end so it's kind of you know, just working out what's best for them in some of the youngsters stretching's really effective. You know, if at the end of the day, the muscle is too tight, it's that balance between creating more mm. traction and yet uh, uncertainty compression on all those tissues. So it's finding positions that you can maybe do a little bit of stretching, yeah. um, but in a comfy way for that child. And that's why we need the individual approach rather than Googling the, the exercises. And some kids will manage a wall squat in five degrees of knee bend. Um, and that's, you know, a very pertinent exercise, but not if they started at 45 and it's really aggravating their pain. Yeah. So it's, it is personalizing those um, different approaches. But I think the key message for me is it's about education of the load that they're doing uh, is probably the biggest thing. Why did this come on? And if we don't understand the why, no amount of strength, no amount of soft tissue yeah. work is actually going to make a blind bit of difference. Mm -hmm. So it's analyzing the mistakes they made in getting the pain to start with so that yeah. they don't have a two-week rest, calm things down, and go back and do it all with the same vicious <laughs> yeah. circle. So um, if you said to me in list of priorities, you need to find a good practitioner who understands um, these different uh, ways in which these Osgoods and Severs can occur, really changing what you're doing in the way in which you approach it, maybe changing some of the beliefs. If we say to a, uh, a child, Go do your best. Go try hard. Well, what does that mean to a lot of sporty kids? Oh, I'll go and do an 11 out of 10 effort. <laughs> so we have to be really clear on what the coaches and what the parents are telling the child to do. A lot of children with these types of conditions look at me as if I'm stark raving mad when I say to them, go and do a light session. What do you mean? We don't do light. I only know one gear. And so yeah. we have to really explore some of the beliefs, not just in the child, but what they're being told by their coaches and their parents. And it is really about addressing that ahead of maybe some of the soft tissue and the strength stuff. 
And I guess that's where also we can liaise with a coach, we can liaise with a parent, we can liaise with a PE teacher of saying, yep, yeah, you know, he can do you know, 15 minutes of the football game rather than the full 45 minutes or whatever it is just to kind of get back into it, monitor his pain, asking him or her questions as they're doing it. So they're, they're just more abreast. And I think that's what, you know, resources like this, I know a lot of stuff that you put out is really good, not just for healthcare professionals, but also for the PE teachers and for the, you know, the people in those fields, not just PE teachers, all teachers, um, games teachers, rugby coaches who might not be familiar with management of this. And it's just kind of, oh, you know, put up with it, you know, crack on, get get on with it. And that's just going to actually keep them out of this yeah. in a in, in much longer, really. So uh, a couple of questions, because as predicted, I kind of, you know, you're far too interesting and I've overrun a bit. So I think as much as I'd love to get on to kind of back pain, I think that's a too big a topic to kind of wrap up in the last kind of 10, 15 minutes. So the the two issues I'd kind of want to uh, touch on were, firstly, can this predisposed to any issues later in life. I know you mentioned briefly about the knee. So, you know, in a in a child who's had, you know, severs for a long time or uh, osteoslatters, are they likely to have, you know, Achilles issues longer as an, uh, or predisposed to Achilles issues or patellar issues as an adult? Um, there's no strong evidence to support so. So Good. in the Achilles, uh, in the severs kids, we have no um, major studies that would suggest that having an issue um, as a, child is going to predispose you uh, as an adult. So there is some idea that if you've got one of those bony lumps from an Osgood Schlatter's, which we see a lot, lot less in the uh, heel, um, there's very rare that we see those in the heel. So if we get one of those Osgood Schlatter's lumps in the knee, then they can remain tender in adults. And there is some thought as to whether those become the adults that down the line may get um, some patella tendon issues. And that's just been very much in the recent research. And one has to say that um, at the moment, I wouldn't be putting my hand on my heart and saying it's the same. If they, as a, uh, a child, go at life at 110 miles an hour, pushing their body to its absolute you know, nth degree, and they still carry on that activity as an adult, well, guess what? They'll still have the same problems as an adult that they had as a kid, but probably different structures. So it's if they are those people that are perfectionists, they're always pushing <laughs> yeah. to um, their body to its limits and they carry on that pattern of behavior. Yes, I think they will get problems as an adult, but I'm not sure it's for anything um, to do with the tissue so much as their approach to life. Amazing. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on was obviously, you know, you're in, in your role you know, as a specialist pediatric physio, that's kind of your you know area of expertise people going down the line of looking for some help with this, do they have to see a, a specialist pedi pediatric physio or are most kind of physios abreast with, you know, this knowledge to, to manage it? Or is it very individual? I think a very individual, Robin. I think, you know, you've got um, uh, osteopaths, you've got chiropractors, um, you've got physiotherapists working with you. And each one of them will come to the table with a different set of tools. So I think across the board, my belief is that, um, awareness of children's sports injuries. And we're not just talking elite here. We're talking about active kids who want to run about in the park every weekend with their mates playing lots of different sports. But the actual sort of teaching of that at an undergraduate level is poor. And so there's so many other things that you need to learn. <laughs> and therapists across the board, if they don't know that these conditions exist, they're not going to really, <clears throat> excuse me, be able to make the right diagnosis. So I think it is important to ask the questions. Do you have 
you know, lots of expertise or do you have a specific therapist in your clinic who is used to dealing with children's problems? Because in my belief, they are different. So what I've been trying to do is just very much at its infancy, but trying to set up a platform uh, called Kids Back to Sport. And what we're going to try and do over a period of the next year or so is develop a directory that will be available nationwide of people who are um, currently doing the courses like mine um, or an equivalent. We're going to look at different people are doing different courses and trying to build a directory so parents can go to that as a resource and say, right, I know that this clinic's got the stamp that says they've done a, a, you know, a really good course in this. They understand my child and it's a safe place to go. And I think what we've got to get away from is that you can have an adult therapist who is superb and they've treated you for your patellofemoral problem or they've treated you for your back problem, but they might not have a Scooby-Doo what to do with little Johnny. Yeah. Uh, and equally, if you go to somebody who has really helped you with little Johnny, they might not have a Scooby-Doo what to do with your <laughs> yeah. back. So I think there is a role for specialism, but at the moment it's massively in its infancy. Um, and so I'm trying to change that. Good, and I think you're doing a very good job of it. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, having heard you speak many a time, I can uh, I can attest it's been uh, you've, you've been brilliant. So that's uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I appreciate that. You know, we could have spoken about each of these topics, as I said earlier, kind of ad nauseum for hours and hours and hours. So this wasn't an, an introduction to those. I'd love to have you back on at another date to kind of talk a little bit more about the back pain that that, um, that children could get at a, at a different date. Um, is there anything that you would like to? I know you kind of mentioned that as well, but anything else you'd like to mention? Um, um, any more courses? Where can people go to find out a little bit more about you and the courses? Feel uh, feel free to fire away. Thank you. Well, I'd love to come again. And thank you very much for inviting me. Um, and uh, for clinicians and coaches, uh, I do have online courses and face-to-face courses. I go out and speak at schools um, and to governing bodies, all sorts of things, trying to raise that awareness of, of these differences. Um, so my website's very simple. It's angelajacksonphysio.com. And on there, I do blogs, which can hopefully be helpful to parents and and clinicians. And there's uh, courses for kids to help them learn all about this. So we can do that building the successful athlete, as well as for clinicians, the active kids are not mini adults uh, courses. So um, loads of different ways to learn more. And I'll always happily chat to anybody if they need specific help. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much uh, uh, for joining us today. Um, Dave's had some Wi-Fi issues, so he's had to uh, dash off. So he was here at the beginning, but he's uh, <laughs> had to dash off for anyone who knew where Dave went. But thanks, everyone, for listening to the latest episode of the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Thanks, Angela. Thanks.